welcome to episode one of the Play Podcast, Virgin Media's guide to the very best in awesome entertainment this season. From the must-see TV and films to interviews with your favourite stars, this is your one-stop podcast shop for the latest and greatest coming your way in the weeks ahead. Over the course of the next 30 minutes, we'll be talking to Shane Horgan ahead of the spectacle of the Six Nations. We'll build up to the Virgin Media Dublin International Film Festival by talking to festival director Gronya Humphreys. We grill Lisa Cannon on what floats her movie boat and a whole lot more. But first, we're turning to one of the most exciting, exhilarating and downright exceptional arrivals to the TV schedule in 2019. The Passage, starring Mark Paul Gosselaar. It's a dystopian thriller, a sci-fi zombie epic, a family drama and a whole lot more besides. But don't just take our word for it. We caught up with the man at the heart of it all. That's right. It's Mark Paul Gosselaar. Mark Paul, The Passage is not an easy show to summarise. Do you fancy giving it a go? Um, you know, I asked Justin Cronin to describe it because it's it, there's so many components to it, and you know, if he could give me a precise and you know t- direct uh, uh, description of the show, and uh, I asked him over a text, and he wrote this back to me in a text. So right. I'm going to read this to you, and I think it brilliantly sums up what the show's about. He said, uh, "Mark Paul, it's an apocalyptic vampire horror western road novel, bio thriller, love story." based on King Lear and the Odyssey with a smattering of Dickens, Dante, Virginia Woolf, and Dawn of the Dead. Also, it is scary as f***. So that, I tend to agree with his description because it really does have all those components and then some. So the waiting's over. How excited are you that people finally get to see it? Well, I'm very excited for them to dive in. I'm, I'm just uh, always guarded on, you know, the reception because you just never know how people are going to receive it. It feels like a show that might surprise a few people. Well, I, I would hope so. I mean, that, that, that sounds positive to me if, if people are surprised by, by the show. I mean, I, I, I like that you thought it was going to be one thing and then you realize it's, it's, a, it's not as cut and dry. I think that that's the, the running theme uh, throughout our show is that you may think it's black and white, but it's, it's gray. It's certainly going to keep viewers on their toes because there is a lot going on. Yeah, it, it, it's all there. I mean, it, you're you're just like um, you know, your head is on a swivel when you're when you're when you're reading the books or you're watching the show because there's so many things that are happening. There's so many. I mean, one minute you you think the show is is uh, going to focus on the the individuals playing God, but then the next minute you're just overtaken with the story of Babcock, and then you know you're overtaken with the story of of Amy and her background, and then the next minute Anthony Carter. Uh, you learn about him and and his story, so your your head is constantly on a swivel. I, I, I feel in, in in the making of this and and the storytelling and all. Now, your character Brad acts as a father figure to a young girl played by Sonia Sydney. How is it to form a bond with another actor who's so much younger? Because you can't exactly go for a beer together after <laughs> work. Yeah, no, it, it, we um, we had the luxury of creating our relationship. Uh, parallel to the storytelling. So we, we, we told the story in the pilot in a linear fashion where the very first scene where Sanai and I pretty much met was uh, at the foster home. Mm-hmm. And um, so the, the sort of distance and, and the uncomfortable nature between us was uh, 
was uh, natural. Um, so that when we finally shot the the scene at the river, which was about two two and a half weeks after we had initially met, we sort of had a, a history together and, and you know a connection. An example would be that Liz would say to me, "Oh my God, I just watched episode six, and and your relationship with Sanaya is brilliant." And I'd say, "Well, Liz, you wrote that. I'm just saying the words." And she goes, "Yeah, but you guys did an amazing job." I said, "Well, you did an amazing job, and it was there." Unlike Sanaya, you've been around the business a long time. What drives you to keep going? I, I love storytelling. I love being creative. I love working with people in this industry. I love the production of it all. If there's one thing that I, I could do without, it's sort of the fanfare. It's the you know pageantry. But in terms of creating and, and um, working on a set, I, just, I, I, I love uh, doing that. I know you love the books and they spanned a hundred years and a thousand characters. Are you hoping this show can become a long-term project? Oh, absolutely. You said it. I'm a huge fan of the books. And one of the reasons that I signed on in the first place was because of the source material and, and, and knowing the possibilities that we could, that we could do in the storytelling is, is very exciting to me. Finally, the show was definitely scary. Did you ever find yourself jumping on set? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, there, there was a, a moment where I uh, came face to face with a viral in episode five, I believe. And, uh, it, it stuck with me for a while. I mean, it was it was pretty terrifying. And these actors, you know, all of that is is physically applicated to the to the actors. The virals are not CG'd, so it's very um, tangible and, and and textile. You know, I'd say it, it's right in your face. This particular actor uh, has to jump on me and attack me, and and it was pretty terrifying. And if all that takes your fancy, then check out The Passage on Tuesdays at 9pm on Fox. That's channel 126 for Virgin Media customers. Now, if the big screen is more your thing, you won't need reminding that it's an important month. The Oscars, after all, the biggest date in the industry calendar. But here, too, we've got a lot to look forward to with the Virgin Media Dublin International Film Festival. Soon you'll be able to get every last bit of in-depth info with our very special edition of Play magazine. Keep an eye out for that. And on Virgin Movies right now, you can check out a colossal collection of show stealers from past years. So as we gear up for a fortnight of fabulous film, we sat down with festival director Gronya Humphreys to see how things are going before the curtain rises. Okay, so we're just days away from the kickoff of the biggest fortnight of film in Dublin. Is it excitement, nerves, or is there just no time for any of that? It's a combination of both, to be honest. Um, I've been doing this a good number of years now, and what's always exciting is the idea that films that you may have seen a couple of months ago, you're finally going to be able to bring back home. Um, if there's something as, as exciting as discovering a new film or a new uh, director, it's definitely seeing the reaction of a home crowd to that filmmaker. And Dublin's so lovely, small and intimate that for the 12 days, 14 days of the festival, you keep bumping into people on the street who actually keep telling you, I, I saw that Hungarian film, I really liked it or I'm really glad that Neil Jordan's got a new film and you have that sense of community so it can be also funny because as I said Irish people are very honest and they'll tell you Uh, so there's a good side and a bad side they love standing ovations they love filmmakers but they'll also tell you whether something was too long or wasn't funny enough So in your position do you spend as much time kind of watching what's happening in front of the screen in the crowd as you do with what's actually happening in the film? I'm I'm a bit of a nerd I I think I see more the beginnings of films and the ends of films than probably anybody else because I love seeing the reaction I really genuinely love getting that kind of sense of what people thought of it and also for the filmmakers who aren't here to experience it it's really important that we're actually able 
to feed back to first, second time directors, what their film went down, how it was experienced, whether people, as I said, felt that it had said something different about society. But also it's just really nerve wracking for filmmakers. I mean, we've had fantastic guests down through the years, but I think sometimes people think cinema is this kind of, you know, structured art form. It goes on a big blank screen. It's in cinemas. Um, but actually, there's always creators who are standing there nervously biting their nails or absolutely terrified as to what people will really think. And the great thing about a film festival is, is there's a Q&A afterwards. There's always that interaction, that engagement. And they do get to hear from, from you know, people who've literally just seen the film what they think. In general terms, I mean, everyone knows the way we watch films, where we watch them, how we watch them. has changed so much in recent years. Does that make a film festival particularly unique in this day and age? I think so. And I think the reason is, is because you can see up to five or six films a day. And I genuinely do think a bit like a kind of an intensive grinds. You can get a huge insight into what's happening globally over the space of the festival. And you do come out smarter. I will say that right now if you see films from around the world it gives you an insight into how Irish films stack up against their international peers but also gives you fascinating I think uh, sort of projections as to where cinema is going and there's a lovely kind of dynamic in this year's programme of Asian films but there's also a lot of films that are hybrids they're using animation particularly in documentary so you're, you you can see where people are moving away from what would be the traditional ways of telling stories and they're able to kind of capture and engage with audiences by using different forms or or in, in some cases with some of our documentaries are using nearly thriller styles and techniques to really get fil- um, audiences inside stories. I know you're probably not allowed to play favourites but what <laughs> what are the hottest tickets in town? What should people really be begging, buying or stealing their way to? Oh my god, okay. Uh, top of my head, opening night is something special. Uh, Papi Chulo, John Butler's third film after The Stag and Handsome Devil is really really gorgeous. Um, Fighting With My Family is the Virgin Media Gala this year and it's really funny, really sweet. Um, Stephen Merchant has directed a really fine film. Uh, it's a debut. Um, we also have a Hungarian film called Ruben Brandt, which is a kind of mad kind of spy thriller. Again, it's an animated film. We have a beautiful closing night film. Jesse Buckley is better than Lady Gaga, I would argue, as a country singer. Um, our surprise film, which normally come, I would not have at this stage. I have, and I think it's something really, really great. Um, can't say a word about it, but there's uh, also a fantastic range of documentaries. I've been boring my colleagues for months about it, but um, Shooting the Mafia, um, Maiden, uh, there's some really, really strong films there. And we've got some of the films in Sundance and a lot of the films will be close to either world premieres or Irish premieres. So people will be seeing them really early at the start of their career. You've seen them. So what are you most excited about for the two weeks? It's that great sense of being, as I said, at the start of a film's uh, journey that you actually are able to kind of launch it out. And uh, I love meeting my international colleagues of lots of festival directors come over and they again will take a lot of the films that they see here and again program them in their festival. So I suppose it's being a kind of meeting point for audiences and for filmmakers. Um, But most of the time, as I said, it's just seeing more that's gone on for the last kind of 10 months, finally, finally coming to the screen. And the last question is that when it's all said and done, March 4th, please tell me you have some awful guilty pleasure that you're going to be watching with your feet up at home. I usually go to the cinema to see whatever I've missed, which is really embarrassing. Um, I don't really know. I mean, I have to say, you know, North by Northwest is a film I can see repeatedly and there is something really enjoyable about it. But yes, when we started sending all the films home, uh, a couple of us in the office tried to sneak off to see something because, as I said, we won't have seen that many films during the festival. So we tried to go back in 
into the habit of going to the cinema. Sad, I know. There really is no rest for the wicked, is there? A reminder that the Virgin Media Dublin International Film Festival kicks off on February 20th, running till March 3rd, and you'll be hearing a lot more between now and then if you keep an eye on our social channels. Instagram, Twitter, you know where to find us. And indeed, if you've enjoyed what you've heard on the Play podcast so far, let us know. Subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and of course, tell your friends, because everyone likes to be kept in the loop, right? And to that end, if you're wondering what are the must-see titles on Virgin Movies right now, well, we've got the answers. Check out American Animals. It's available to rent right now from $4.99 and it's based on a true story that involves a heist at a library. Doesn't sound the most exciting, but boy, is it ever. And they lean into the real story fantastically because they splice together interviews with the real people, with the actors recreating those events. And among those actors, our own Barry Keown, reminding everyone that he is one of the most genuinely enigmatic stars working in the industry today. In fact, the entire cast is phenomenal and the whole thing is just a taut and thrilling crime movie that everybody loves. Also, Bad Time at the El Royale, available to rent right now from $4.99, has an unbelievable cast. Jeff Bridges, John Hamm, Dakota Johnson, Chris Hemsworth, the list goes on. It's the story of seven strangers who converge on this mysterious hotel, and it's earned a lot of comparisons to Quentin Tarantino, which, in our book, is really saying something. It's tense and it's exciting, and A Feast for the Senses doesn't quite sum it up as far as the sights and sounds are concerned. Concerned. It is soaked in style. It really is a treat. And if the full audiovisual experience is something that you value, then make sure you don't miss Hearts Beat Loud. It's available to rent right now on Virgin Movies, and it is one of the sleeper hits of the year. It's this immensely likable story of a father and daughter who find pretty unlikely success as a musical act. It's sweet and it's funny, and of course, it's got some belting tunes as well. Kiersey uh, Clemens is great. Great. Nick Offerman as the father is as endearing as it gets. Really worth checking that one out. And if you want to find even more to tickle your fancy, check out virginmedia.ie forward slash watch and play for all the biggest arrivals on Virgin Movies, including one of the most talked about films of the year. Bohemian Rhapsody has taken award season by storm as had Freddie Mercury fanatics dancing in the aisles and of course boasts a soundtrack that leaves the rest to bite the dust. It's available to rent from March 4th from 4 99 and as we look forward to that, one man well placed to talk about it is himself a mastermind of music, Hot Press Deputy Editor Stuart Clark. So it was a film years in development hell, as they say, and obviously decades in the making, uh, the story of Queen. Worth the wait, though? It definitely was. I was a bit scandalised because I was looking forward to seeing Sasha Baron Cohen in the role, and I thought, I'm not too sure about this. Being in the industry, I tend not to like films about music so they don't sort of ring true. Um, but when I saw Rami Malek, actually on Graham Norton, and they split the screen between Live Aid and the film, and every facial tick, every utterance, every mannerism was was right. It was Freddie. He doesn't just play Freddie Mercury. He inhabits him. And, and it really stands, I think, on the quality of his performance. 
And obviously the story of Freddie Mercury, the story of Queen, perfect for the big screen, really, because, I mean, stadium rock, you can't get any bigger than them. It was interesting. I was talking to Aidan Gillen, who plays their manager, John Reed, in the movie. It looks rather like uh, Charlie High again. Um, and he was saying, if you're looking for the, the dirt and the darkness, it's not that kind of film. It, it does deal with the racism and homophobia he encountered, especially at work when he was a baggage handler at Heathrow in the early 70s. But that's going to be another film. It's a little bit of a, a rock and roll fairy tale. I think if you're age 50 or under, you think of Queen as this massive, ginormous, stadium-filling band. But of course, like every other group, they had to start somewhere. I'm a bit older, and I do remember seeing them for the first time on Top of the Pops, and it was like, who on earth are these people? Who's that singer? So I really like the fact that they sort of give you the backstory because it's as interesting, I think, what they did before they became stars as when they were one of the biggest bands in the world. And of course, for anybody who is or isn't a fan, the tunes definitely deserve this sort of stage, don't they? Well, the tunes were always, like Freddie, larger than life. Uh, And they evolved. They started off as a pretty nuts and bolts, well, not nuts and bolts with Freddie, but a hard rock band. Uh, And rather than being killed by disco, they embraced it fully and and reinvented themselves. I I think when you hear it on the radio 85 times in a week, it's easy to take uh, Bohemian Rhapsody for granted. But when you think about the technology or lack thereof in the 70s and how they made it sound so big... It was as an amazing feat, really, as the Beatles doing Sgt. Pepper's. And, of course, one thing that hasn't changed too much is live performance. They had no shortage of massive ones, live aid included, and they're done justice as well. Well, I think the gig recreations are the other strong selling point. Again, you see films, you go, bands don't move like that. But with uh, Brian May and Roger Taylor watching every shoot and going, no, 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 I would dip in like that. I wouldn't sort of stand that way at the mic. It, it looks and it smells real. I was at that infamous, well, not infamous, famous uh, 1986 gig in Wembley Stadium uh, on, on the Magic Tour that became a double live album. And the recreation of that is just kind of like, I, I was back there. I was in Wembley munching on my hot dog. So they, they, they get the look and the feel right. And yeah, the music is, is superb. Again, Aidan Gillen was saying, because it's such a, a tough role, especially for an American, that, um, you know, Rami Malek would come in for the shoot, put in the teeth. And whilst the teeth were in, he was Freddy the whole day. There was no breaking in the character. It was, oh, darling and fabulous, you know, morning, noon and night. The teeth came out. He went back to being an American. And if that's not enough to make a song and dance about, then how about the return of Ireland's Got Talent? You can read our interview with the judges on the new issue of Play magazine. If you haven't got a copy, then pick one up in store or check out virginmedia.ie forward slash play nine. And of course, catch all the contestants strutting their stuff on Saturday evening as on Virgin Media One. Who knows, the next music megastar may well be in our midst. And of course, that is just one of the highlights on Virgin Media Television coming up in the coming weeks with an absolute mountain of it on the sporting front. The UEFA Champions League and UEFA Europa League back in action. The runners and riders under starters orders for Cheltenham in March. And then, of course, there's the small matter of the Six Nations. And who better to tackle the big questions ahead of that than Shane Horgan? Sporting lore tells us that winning a title is one thing, defending it is tougher. Does that change things for Ireland going in as reigning Grand Slam champions? Well, there's a, there's a couple of points there. Um, one, the Grand, uh, Grand Slams don't come to Ireland very often. Um, 
winning them back to back is unprecedented, and the you know the nature of the of the Grand Slam and the nature of the Six Nations competition in particular this year means that I think it's less likely that Ireland will be able to pull that off. Um, you would still expect them to be favourites for the championship. I still expect them to actually win the championship, but uh, whether they can, um, you know, whether they can go another competition without losing a game, given the the the, the schedule of the games and that six day turnaround right at the end, going over to to beat to try and beat a Welsh team, um, I think it's uh, it's very difficult, and that doesn't mean. That um, you know, this isn't a, a, a very good Irish side. It doesn't mean that we're in trouble for the World Cup. It just means winning back-to-back Grand Slams is you know almost impossible. You talked about defending back-to-back Grand Slams being unprecedented. There's also the chance after two weeks that Ireland will be the number one team in the world. I mean, fair is fair. You can block out as much of the talk as you want, but that's still got to be a bit of a buzz around the dressing room, right? No, and I'd be delighted with that. It's you know, I think they. The buzz would have come after the all-black game, and I'm sure, as they were concerned, that that makes them um, the number one team in the world for that year. That's what I did. That's what the all-blacks said. That would be the outcome of that game. So let's let's uh, accept that. Um, the fact that they will have you know mathematically gone to the top of the table if they have a couple of successful weeks, uh, it's something. It's more something that you will. Uh, an achievement that you look back maybe after the career is over and said, you know, we got to the top of the tree, which is impressive. It, it will pale into insignificance compared to, um, you know, a, 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 the opportunity to win a, another Grand Slam or even win a Six Nations, I think. Obviously, Wales and England aren't far behind us in the rankings. Are you of the school of thought that the gap between the hemispheres is closed or even that the Northern Hemisphere might be moving ahead a little bit by now? I wouldn't say that because, you know, Ireland pulled off a win against uh, New Zealand, but we don't consistently beat them. I suppose England, uh, England maybe to a lesser degree, but you know Wales don't have a huge uh, history of, of significant defeat, uh, victories over Southern Hemisphere teams. Scotland don't. France haven't you know really troubled anyone in the last you know almost decade in that regard. So um, I think a gap still exists. So the main gap exists between you know New Zealand and the and the Northern Hemisphere sides. But what I do think what we have is this year there's been actually a closing in the Northern Hemisphere. I think the English team looks had a really, really good autumn uh, and they look to have closed some of the gap on themselves where they were 18 months before. Uh, but the loss of Sam Underhill is going to be a significant blow to them. Um, Wales had a very good autumn as well. You'd expect them to um, go, go into the competition in a very confident manner. Scotland, you know, they, they're kind of my bogey team because I always tip them. I always think they're on the cusp of doing something and they kind of always deliver a performance or two, but not a consistent, a consistent tournament. I, I expect them to be similar again. France have definitely made a move forward in the last year. There's no doubt about it. And they now seem to have a, a new generation of players that could, um, in the right con- conditions, trouble any of those uh, teams. Uh, Italy aren't an issue. So I think what we have is, you know, within the six nations, we've got five nations that could beat each other on a given day. And if you look at the way the the, uh, the calendar for the competition this year, we've got England first up. I, I think we should win that. There's no doubt we should beat England at home first up. Um, and we've got France at home as well. You'd, you would think, again, that's a game that Ireland should win. 
but you know Six Nations games on a six day turnaround is very difficult and travelling away to Wales will be tricky um, what we do have is and we'll be, we do have an incredible strength and depth and it will be interesting to see how that is managed and if it is managed correctly then maybe we do have a chance but I think you know asking them the bulk of the squad to turn around after six days and play another you know really uh, intensive um, Six Nations game it's, it's a big ask and a reminder that every game for the Guinness Six Nations will be live on Virgin Media One, culminating in Super Saturday, March 16th, which will cap a week that includes the Cheltenham Festival and the round of 16 second legs in the UEFA Champions League and Europa League. All of those continental crackers, of course, live on Virgin Media Sport, so you know where to be to catch it all. A magical week indeed. And while sports fans might have to wait a little while for that, kids all over the country have already started counting down to the mid-term break, the lucky sods. There's going to be a whole lot of entertaining needed, but that means we've got a whole lot of ideas, and for a few of the best, we turn to Kira Morgan from Every Month. It's not October 31st, but there is a Monster Mash coming up, uh, just in time for midterm too. And I suppose while the nights are still dark and full of terrors, Goosebumps 2 Haunted Halloween hitting the screens. Be afraid, be very afraid? Uh, Not really. It's very carefully crafted for younger audiences. Yes, there are scares, but they're gentle ones, not the type that are going to make bedtimes more difficult after watching it. This is obviously the second Goosebumps movie that we've gotten. Yeah, it's based on the iconic book series by Orl Stein, which a lot of parents will themselves remember very well. Goosebumps was one of my own favourite series of books when I was a kid. He incidentally is played on screen by the one and only Jack Black. And it's not the only example of something that's been very deliberately aimed at younger viewers because you've also got Once Upon a Deadpool. That's available to rent on Virgin Movies right now. And for people who are fans of the franchise, it's Deadpool with a difference. So older viewers will be more than familiar with Ryan Reynolds and his his acerbic alter ego Wade Wilson. But it was also a bit of a pity that one of the best superhero characters of the era was one you couldn't share with a younger audience. And then Once Upon a Deadpool came along. It's actually a re-editing or reworking of Deadpool 2 with some fantasy elements. And of course, no naughty language or anything of that nature. Which begs the question, what do we get? Well, what you end up with is a movie that has all the excitement of the versions we're accustomed to seeing and a lot of the really smart, self-deprecating humour that Deadpool is so loved for. A lot of character traits are still the same, just presented in a more family-friendly way. It's also one that mum and dad won't get bored watching either, which is always a plus. That always does help. And I have to ask from mum and dad's perspective, with Valentine's Day coming up before midterm, once the kids are in bed... What takes your fancy on Virgin Movies right now? Well, myself and my husband are huge fans of Juno. We love the soundtrack, so this is always one of our go-tos. For myself more so than my husband, I'd probably go for 27 Dresses and Brooklyn. And then the two of us again probably love Paper Towns. Okay, now it's time to get down to some real talk. The segment where we find out the movie taste of some familiar faces. And to kick off, there was only one choice. You know her as the resident film fiend of box office on Virgin Media 2. It's Lisa Cannon. Lisa Cannon, are you ready for some real talk? I am so ready. I love being interviewed because I'm usually the other one holding the microphone. So go for it. All right. Action. 
What is one film guaranteed to make you laugh? Right, one of late is probably The Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, I know it's crude, it's lewd, it's seedy, but I have to say it's one of my favourites and the Scorsese always makes me laugh. That's one. Um, I'm going to jump in with a second one and I'd probably say Monty Python. I love all the Monty Python stuff. What's one film guaranteed to make you cry? Oh God, I'm a wuss. Uh, E.T., Back to the Future and uh, possibly Beaches. Okay, if you could be any character in any film, who would you be and why? Oh, I'd love to try and be, this is so bad, Jordan Belfort. <laughs> Wolf okay. of Wall Street. I know it's the movie that keeps popping into my brain, but I just think those monologues he has are so dynamic. Uh, he should have won the Oscar for them. And I think it's just, oh, he's just so tricky as a character. Why not? I also love Henry Hill in Goodfellas, so I'd love to be him. I think the scenes that he does and, and navigates with, with the narrative is unbelievable. I think he's got some great lines. And a female role. I better pick a female role. Um, ooh, 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 ooh. If I could sing Mary Poppins. Very nice. Tom Cruise or Tom Hardy? Oh, God, you're killing me here. Uh Tom Hardy, if I needed, you know, just a little bit of stimulation. Um, and I think Tom Cruise for acting stimulation. There you go. I think Tom Cruise has it all in spades. I think he's an incredible actor. Of course, he's good looking and all that. But I think Tom Hardy just has the edge when it comes to sexiness and the roles that he takes. He's the bad boy turned good. Emma Stone is Sharon Stone. Oh, God, Emma Stone. Sharon Stone is only good in Casino. I've never seen her good in any other role. Sorry, I give her massive... <laughs> Thumbs down. So, yeah, it's got to be M. Stone then. What's your perfect date night movie? Oh, God. You know what? As a film critic, people are going to be like, what? But actually, only last night I watched Legends of the Fall with a takeaway and a bottle of wine and I loved it. I hadn't seen that in an awful long time. Of course, Brad Pitt's got a lot to do with it, but I just think the story is kind of a bit of fun. And yeah, I saw Legends when I was about 17 years old, I think. And I have not seen it since. And it was just one of those little ones that kind of melted my heart slightly. Who's a perfect date night companion? Gotta be the hubby. And if he's not listening? The dog. <laughs> What's your favourite Irish movie of all time? Oh, okay. Again, these are all things that I've kind of seen of recent, you know, that maybe would be oldies but goodies. My Left Foot. Right. Um, Jim Sheridan. Thank you, Jim, for bringing, you know, Christy, Christy Brown to the screen. I think that was an incredible movie, not only from, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis's perspective in terms of his performance and what he delivered. But Brenda Fricker, nobody really kind of gives her the credibility that she needs. And of course, she did win an Oscar for that, too. But I do feel that that is a great Irish movie. It's just crafted so beautifully and there's so much heart. It's It's got a lot there. What was Hollywood's greatest era? I think the golden era. Definitely. I think there's so many great movies that come, came from that particular time that they'll never be matched. Does anything really compete with popcorn? Yes. Nachos. <laughs> what classic film are you most embarrassed about never seeing? Oh, God, that's a good one. That's a really good question. Um, there's a few. Um, I've not seen Bullet. I've not seen Bullet. What bad film are you most embarrassed about watching many times? Oh, yeah. Oh, God, it's got to be like The Holiday or Love Actually or um, what's the one that my husband always slags me off? Oh, Far and Away. 
Far and Away. He With Tom Cruise in yeah, the worst yeah, Irish accent ever. Everybody, I love Far and Away and nobody can take that away from me. I actually thought he was a really good horseman in Far and Away until I found out from a stuntman who had, had done the work with him that he never rode the horse at all. I mean, he was up and about it twice. Um, I just love the love story and of course the real cockles, the warmth of the Irish accent. But um, yeah, that's probably quite an embarrassing movie to like. And finally, who would play you in a movie of your life? I'd love to say Vivian Lee because, you know, Vivian Lee's gone with the wind, but of course she's six feet under. So let's go with. Okay, it's, I love Kate Blanchett, but she looks nothing like me. So if anyone's going on kind of looks, oh God, I just don't rate her as an actress, Mini Driver. <laughs> this is bad because nobody actually looks like me. But no, 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 do you know who'd be really good? No, no, do you know who'd be really good? Jennifer Saunders. Because I look a bit like her and everyone says I'm a bit ab-fab. So we'll go with her. That was some real talk. Thanks, Lisa. (laughs) Thank you. And that's almost it for this episode, but not quite. Because if you've still got space in your schedule or you just don't have time to fit everything in, here's the fantastic five that you really should make time for. If you have time for one movie, then make it Black Klansman. It's been nominated for six Oscars, including finally a Best Director nod for Spike Lee. It's clever, it's sharp, it's vital. And frankly, even if you try to remember that it's based on a true story, you'll still struggle to believe it at times. A TV show? Well, he is without a doubt one of the finest comedy characters ever created. Say aha once again, ladies and gentlemen, because Alan Partridge is back. This time with Alan Partridge, starting soon on the BBC. The exact detail's still a secret, but do not miss it. And of course, if you're eager to get in the mood, then the movie Alpha Papa, with our own Colomini, is available to rent now on Virgin Movies. If you've ever wondered just how you spend your time on your phone, then Action Dash has the answers. That is an app worth checking out this month because it breaks down your screen time to the minute, though we can't tell you whether that's going to be good or bad news now, can we? The clue for our game to check out is definitely in the name because Far Cry New Dawn is so spectacularly different to what's gone before. The gameplay is superb because it always is, but it's the visuals that are a real treat. It looks like a whole new world. It is a whole new world. So dive into that one. And if you've got time to check one podcast out, well, I would say this one, but you've already listened to it, haven't you? So check out The Dropout. It's the true story of a biotech business gone horribly wrong and a company that thought they were going to be the new Apple ended up, well you're just going to have to listen and that's a wrap for this episode of the Virgin Media Play podcast, we hope you've enjoyed it and if you have, please let us know, let your friends know subscribe, rate, review and share we'll be back with another episode soon, until then take care and stay entertained <laughs>